David Williamson, it is brilliant to have you on 20 Questions With. Can you give us a sense of what we might expect from Circus 1903? Well, thank you for having me, first of all. And, uh, well, expect the unexpected. You know, in a, in a nutshell, Matthew, 30 years ago, Cirque du Soleil reinvented the circus. They kind of got rid of the animals and they subjugated the circus artists to the larger ethereal production. They brought the, all of these incredibly uh, uh, evocative theater arts to circus, music, driving music, wonderful sets, incredible costumes and creative storylines. And uh, what we've done 30 years later is flip the script. And they reinvented circus and we all love circus Soleil. We flipped the script. We've gone back old school. Now all the production, the theater arts, the costumes, the sound, the lights serve each individual artist in turn. Uh, we paint a beautiful, nostalgic picture in front of which we put these incredible human beings who are at the top of their game, these skillful circus artists who are fourth, fifth, sixth generation circus artists who would have won competitions at the Monaco uh, Circus Festival, for example. So we have 12 different countries represented and we're you know, it was best described, I think it was summed up beautifully by a fourth generation high wire artist from Mexico. Maria was in our original cast. And she said, this show is a love letter to the traditions of my family. And I think that summed it up nicely, what Circus 1903 is about. We harken back to a simpler time. It's a re romantic uh, look back at what would happen when the circus came to town in 1903. Well, factories closed, schools closed. The whole community came down to see the spectacle unfold. Except that you don't, of course, reintroduce real animals. No, we don't. Uh, we do in a theatrical way because we use puppets. Uh, Merv Miller and Tracy Waller, who were responsible for the horses in War Horse. And if you've seen that show, you know how these incredible sculptures, when they start to move like real animals, immediately become real horses on stage. And our elephants are the same. They were made by the same people. Our puppeteers are veteran War Horse puppeteers. It's a very specialist art form, uh, these large animal puppets. And you know, when it was decided to bring reintroduce elephants back into the circus, we said, well, the only way to do it on a theatrical setting is with these incredible puppets. Uh, I don't think one has been made this big before. Uh, when Merv Miller decided to make a, a puppet for our show, they did their research. They said, what's the largest elephant ever to walk the earth? And they made our elephant that size. So... I don't think people are going to be prepared for the emotional response. What are you trying to do with Circus 1903? Are you trying to thrill? Are you trying to excite? Are you trying to entertain? Are there deeper messages? What, what, what do you want us to leave the auditorium feeling? You know, it's a little bit of all of the above. It's what a circus does. We're reminding people that, you know, circus has a place in our culture and it's not a forgotten art form from a, a earlier time. It's still alive. It's vibrant. Yes, our costumes are evocative of an earlier time and the music and the vernacular and so forth. But these people are very much alive and they very much keep these circus skills alive. And what we do is present, you know, circus is the oldest form of showbiz. It's, it's pre-vaudeville, it's pre-movies, it's pre-radio. You know, they were the Marvel heroes of their day, uh, people flying through the air and it's still thrilling. So yes, we're, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to entertain and we're trying to thrill. And what does the audience leave? They leave the theater jubilant and buoyant and with hope in their hearts again because they've seen the impossible happen on stage. You spoke about multi-generational performers. What about yourself? How did you come to the circus? Well, I started out as a magician. I, you know, when I was 10 years old, I got a magic kit and I turned to my mother and said, 
leave me alone. I'm going to be a professional magician. Bother my brothers about careers. This is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. And sure enough, she let me do it. And uh, in fact, when I was 15, a small circus came to my town and they invited me to run away with them. My mother wouldn't let me. But uh, I've been doing magic all my life. And I wound up eventually in the cast of The Illusionist, which is a big international touring show that's had several companies uh, performing all over the world. And I traveled with the Illusionist show. Uh, in fact, I was at the Shaftesbury Theater a few years ago for a season, and I absolutely loved it. And the producers of the Illusionist are the producers of Circus 1903, and they invited me to be the ringmaster. They said, you're big, you're loud, you're an American, you'll do. We'll come back to magic in a moment, but what does it involve being the ringmaster? What does it involve being the front guy? Well, it's a live show. And not only is it just a live show, it's a live dangerous show where anything can happen, even though. We have specialist riggers and we have specialist support staff and production team. And uh, all these circus performers are very experienced and very skilled. Things happen. I'm sorry, they just do. And you need somebody standing in the wings who can run out and keep the show going and keep it moving and put everything in context and keep the, keep the uh, audience entertained while we move on to the next thing and prepare for the next thing. What happens if a juggler drops one of the items that he's juggling? Can you turn that? Can he or she turn that into something that's positive? The, that's the skill of the circus. Those are the circus arts. If somebody comes out and there's no danger, if they're just eating an apple and reading a novel while they're walking back and forth in front of a high wire, on top of a high wire, you know, three stories above the ground, it's boring. They have to bring the danger. They have to spill. They have to, you have to, you know, your heart is in your throat waiting for them to catch the girl from the trapeze. And uh, mistakes are built into the show. And I'm not saying they they fake mistakes, but the danger is always there. And yes, these artists are so experienced. When the juggler drops the ball, he turns it into a wonderful, uh, ironic moment. He has an artist, always an artistic way of coming out of these mistakes, always. They're incredible in this way. How does circus work in a world of health and safety, where there's, there's such an emphasis on making sure that people are safe in their working environment? Good question. <laughs> well, we do our best. We do our best. Like I said, um, our production team are all professionals, uh, very experienced with various types of shows, especially Cirque shows. So our riggers are a team from Brazil who've worked with Cirque du Soleil. Uh, the circus rigger is a very specialist skill. And our particular riggers, uh, they never get mentioned in interviews, but these three gentlemen from Brazil are, if you've seen videos on YouTube of people who jump off cliffs with wingsuits and climb with their fingers up faces of rocks, that's what these guys do in their spare time. They know all about safety. They know all about rigging. They know all about ropes and uh, that sort of thing. And you wouldn't want to have anyone else rigging your your set and your setup than, than these gentlemen. So uh, we're in good hands. Do people get hurt, David? People have gotten hurt. We've had twisted ankles. We've had broken ankles. We've had busted fingers. We've had black eyes. What they do is dangerous. Otherwise, it's not worth watching. But they understand the risks. And all through their training, coming up from their young age, they've been hurt. They've been setbacks. And they get right back up and they do it again because that's part of the job and that's part of the art form. And they love it. As the ringmaster, where does comedy fit in? Well, we don't have any traditional clowns in our show. 
I don't know why. I think people are afraid of clowns. Maybe it's because they keep pulling children into drain pipes in the movies or something like that. But my role is that of the ringmaster, but also of the clown. I bring the funny and we have a lot of skits and clown type routines in our show. A lot of audience involvement. There's a lot of humor, a lot of big laughs. I bring kids on stage and put them through their paces. So it's a very interactive show in that way. So we have a lot of funny moments. We have a lot of scary moments. We have a lot of heartwarming moments. We have a little bit of everything in our show. One thing I'm curious about is, do you get nervous? Because you are the guy who has to pull everything together, as you say. You're the guy who steps in if something goes wrong. You're the guy who has to grab the audience with your presentational skills. Do you feel nerves? Yes. Uh, The day I don't feel nerves is the day I need to stop doing it. I don't get scared, but I do have nervous excitement and anticipation. But I feel like a prize fighter in the corner. I just want to hear that bell ring so I can get out there and do what I do. But yes, there's nerves, there's adrenaline. And for all of us, for all performers, it's the same thing. If I were pushed out there with not enough experience, yes, I would be nervous, I would be scared. But it's decades of experience in front of all types of audiences that have prepared me actually for this circus. I feel like I couldn't have done this show 20 years ago or 10 years ago. I wasn't quite ready, to be honest. And give us a sense of how much practice goes in, how much training goes in. Is it like a football team where you all get together during the week or you all get together during the morning and you practice? Or is the is the practice the shows? Before you start a run, how much practice, how, how much coming together is there? Well, our show starts the 15th and we've been rehearsing this. Our cast is a representative of 12 different countries. Most of our cast this year are new to the show. We have a few uh, veterans of the show, but we have a lot of new cast members. So there's a lot of rehearsal. Now, they have each been rehearsing their individual acts for decades. They know what they're doing once they get on stage. But we also have some choreographed moments. We have some... uh, company moments that need to be done. We have props that need to move back and forth. It's not a play, but there is a narrative. Uh, In the first act of the show, you see the tent uh, yard before the tent goes up and people rehearsing it. What would be happening before the circus kind of backstage? And then at the end of act one, you see the elephants and the uh, artists all come together to raise the tent. It's a very exciting moment. And then in act two, we're inside the grand circus tent And we have the circus parade and the dazzling show begins proper. So that's the loose narrative. And we have to learn uh, all of that choreography in those moments uh, for these new casts. So we've we've been rehearsing a few days. We'll be rehearsing right up until the 15th. But as far as each act goes, they've been rehearsing for years and years. David, you say you began your magic at age 10. Where were you brought up? What was your childhood like? You, You said you had brothers. Uh, I grew up in a small town in uh, the Midwest of the USA, a little town in Ohio called Xenia, Ohio. And when I was uh, you know, a kid, I was interested in magic. I spent my days at the library reading magic books, learning magic tricks. And then I met, uh, it's a funny story, not a funny story, but uh, in uh, 1973, a giant tornado, one of the largest recorded up to that time, wiped out our town tore down a lot of buildings, tore through the downtown, the schools, and it was devastating. And um, that year, we had the county fair nearby, and there was a lot of depression and, you know, in the community, and lives were lost and so forth. And into my life came this clown, this, he was called Quacky the Clown. He was a seven 
foot human being with more giant webbed feet and he had feathers and he did magic and he made balloon animals and he was just ridiculous and he was the therapy I needed. And he was present and he was quacking and mooing and kicking children and make, doing magic tricks. It was the funniest, most oddball thing. It was this bit of color in this depressing landscape. And uh, it inspired me. I was like, well, look what he's doing for us. And he did for me, just lifted us all up of our, out of our doldrums. And I always, I talk about Quacky a lot. He's, he's not with us anymore, but he was a man who went around to county fairs and entertained the children. So, you know, I'm kind of like, I hope I carry on the spirit of Quacky. When I worked for Disney Cruise Line for 10 years, a woman came up to me and uh, almost in tears after my show. And she said, you know, my husband, we lost our, my husband in Afghanistan, he was a soldier and my children have been so depressed. And my, you know, my parents bought us this Disney cruise to cheer them up. And she goes, in your show, you were yelling at my children and kicking them and quacking and mooing. And, and you know, they were laughing and they're now they're so, and, you know, and to me, I looked, I said, thank you, Quacky, because, you know, for carrying that on, you have to be present. That's what performers do. And that's what the circus does. And that's why I do what I do. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's that's kind of my my trajectory there. I started out doing magic. I traveled around to magic conventions when I was young. My mother would put me on Greyhound buses from the age of 13 on to these magic festivals to stay with magicians. And I understood that there was a community of... Now, most people involved in the art of magic aren't crazy enough to try to do it for a living. They're amateur enthusiasts. But there's a large community of magicians all around the world. And here in the UK, you have the Magic Circle and this wonderful history of great magicians in the UK. And every time I come, uh, I mean, I've been coming to the UK since I was in my early 20s. Uh, I was involved in some television shows over the years, The Best of Magic and Stuff the White Rabbit. And I was on a series called um, uh, The Comedy Magic Strip. So I love coming here because of the Magic Circle, but also all of my magic friends in, in the UK. There's quite a history. So a did you go? Here. Did you go to magic school, magic university? Is there such a thing? Did you go to university uh, at all? I, I always joke that I went to Michigan State uh, Penitentiary uh, University. No, <laughs> uh, there's there's no real magic school university. I did go to university for a year. I was an art major, but I was too busy performing. It was getting in the way of my gig, so I dropped out. No, it was always magic for me. There's no real school. Uh, there are some people who give lessons around the world and you know, and so forth. In fact, I've started a magic school online during COVID called Slight School, where I train uh, magicians and, and consult and so forth like that. But yeah, there's no real formal training that I know about there. Explain to us, and, and set modesty aside, what is it that enables you to do what you do as a magician? So clearly you've got skills as a, a front man, but what is, it in, what is it that enables you to be a magician at the top of your game? Is it innate? Is it something you were just born with? Or is it years and years of practice? Or is it a bit of both? It's, I think I'm missing some genetic component that tells me to stop you know, reaching for whatever it is I'm reaching for. And I just, I have tunnel vision when it comes to uh, magic. I just absolutely love the art form. I'm in love with all the people involved in magic. It's just been my complete fascination and passion since I was a kid. It's not innate in me. My brother could do it better than me. I would practice fanning cards and he just picked it up and did it the first time. He's one, he was a natural at everything he did, whether it's throwing a football or playing a guitar or doing card tricks. I made him stop. It was too infuriating. It made me work even harder. So no, I worked really, really hard. 
that sleight of hand and all the various tech, difficult techniques and just nonstop for hours and hours and hours. To this day, my wife asked me, do you have your cards before we go somewhere in the car? Because she knows I'll have to pull over and buy a deck somewhere because I can't, my hands can't be without a deck of cards in them for more than half an hour or else I start to go gummy in my brain. What is magic? Oh, wow. You know, it's many things to many people. For me, it's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a life. It's, I've made a life amongst magicians. It's more than just secrets. There are secret techniques. It has to do, in the end, it's a theatrical art, isn't it? It's an art form. It's a performance art. It's a way of raising the mundane to an en uh, enhancing life for people to show that, yes, there is something behind the veil. I knew that there were impossible things out there. And I, I want to know the secret of this. There's something behind the veil making everything happen. You seem to know some of the secrets, you know. I don't know how to answer that question. There's so many ways to answer it. That's why you asked it. It's a very provocative question. Is there a spiritual element to it? Is there a sense in which you are sort of bringing the other to everyday life? Absolutely. And, you know, I see, to me, the best answer for me is, and I figured it out uh, when I was young, I was busking tables in restaurants when I was a teenager, doing magic for tips in various uh, restaurants in my little uh, area in Ohio. And it occurred to me very quickly, I would approach a table with some older people, maybe the age of my parents, grumpy looking people waiting for their food. And I was so nervous. I was really nervous and scared then when I was first starting out. I was, and I still am an introvert. I was a, a true introvert. But then within a minute or two, they changed. They didn't become grumpy old parents. They became children. So to me, magic is the key that unlocks the child inside of other people. That's what magic is to me. How do you come down off the high of being on stage? What do you do after a show? Oh, it's hard. It's hard because there's, it's just, it is like a drug. Uh, so I'm told. But I... I don't know. It takes me a while to wind down. That's why a lot of artists go out and they have to talk about the show and they have to have a meal or something like that because you can't go right to sleep after a show. The, the endorphins are firing and the neurons are firing. And it's just too much fun. What's it like living your life in reverse, in a sense? Because you're going to work when other people, most other people, a lot of other people are returning from work. <laughs> oh you know it's a joy it's a privilege really it is it's a privilege to be able to come out and be a showman for people whose uh days might involve a bit of drudgery you know we all have drudgery in our life but to be able to be the one to introduce a bit of fun into someone's evening it's a privilege isn't it tell us what you're like outside work how how do you spend <laughs> how do you spend your time when you just want to be having some fun of course what you do i imagine is doing it is enormous fun but what is david williamson like outside of the professional environment oh i'm a again i'm an introvert so if i'm not with my friends having a meal and a few laughs i'm uh, sitting alone shuffling my cards reading a book <laughs> i have uh, i'm a family man and my wife and i like to ride bikes through the countryside and we uh, you know walk our dogs and i like mowing my lawn um i've traveled the world for almost five decades performing magic my idea of a vacation and relaxation is not to get it on an airplane and go somewhere exotic. It's to go home to my leafy little village in Yellow Springs, Ohio, and enjoy a cup of tea with my dog. And, uh, and my wife and I watch something on Netflix. That, to me, is heaven. Final question. It's a big question. What's the meaning of life to you? <laughs> oh, to share it with other people. There you go.
David Williamson, it's been a real pleasure to spend the last few minutes with you. We did it in super quick time. You you were amazingly quick in your answers, but they were such fascinating answers. And I'm really I don't grateful. have much to say. So. <laughs> I'm really grateful to you for answering my 20 questions. Thank you so much. Thank you.